Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, licensed speech and language pathologist, homeschooling mom of two, wife of one, here to share everything speech, language, play, development, homeschooling, and all of that other stuff that falls in between. World changers, I am glad to be here another day. I've been saying all month how much I love Christmas and warm drinks and it's been a lot of fun. I've been crafting with the kids and doing all kinds of craziness. I do have like one semi complaint, not complaint, but it was, it really is a complaint. It's a baby complaint. My kid took my little wind up toys and I found out just before recording that he's taking them apart so they can go the way that he wants them to go because some of them flip, some of them turn, some of them go straight, some of them do erratic little wind up stuff. And this dude took my stuff and took it apart. So I'm feeling a little bit salty, but it's all good. I guess it's for his growth and development or something like that. Or I need to use a little bit of wisdom and set some aside so he will stop messing with my stuff because they they might not work right. And I need diversity. So we'll, we'll see about things there. Also, if you haven't done so, this isn't a rant or a complaint. This is a shout out. Watch Me Connecting to Your Child Through Play is available. If you're following me on my socials, then you've seen that it is in a bunch of online retailers. Do not miss out on this. I am so excited about this book. People have been giving me really good reviews about how they have been applying this stuff, things they're doing with their sugars, how easy it is to read. And it's everything that I wanted it to be. A quick read, a good read, an applicable read, fun and friendly, something easy for you and your loved ones to follow. So please gift somebody. You still have time before Christmas. And I think that's it for me and my announcements slash complaints and rants and raves and excitements and all that other stuff that falls in between that. Let's get right into things. So I got a question in and this is what it says. Is my sugar hyperlexic based on what I see? Um, My sugar is two years old, no months. He has been able to recite the alphabet and sound since one years old. He can count up to 100. He knows his colors. He's fascinated by the solar system, reads numbers and letters wherever we go, especially license plates, has memorized most of his books. There's some food and sensory concerns there. And he skip counts. Like if I say 19, he says 20. And that same holds true with the alphabet. And he knows a lot of songs and nursery rhymes. Thank you for your question. I usually wait until the end of the episode to share my final verdict. But today... My gift is giving you my answer now. Yes, but that don't mean like turn the episode off and be like, I got my answer. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. Let me go celebrate. Don't do that. Because here's the deal. There's a lot more to unpack to understand this very, very, very complex label of hyperlexia. And for you world changers out there who did not ask this question and you're like, what the heck are you talking about? with this hyperlexia business. What does that mean? So here's my quick break, break, break it down. Hyper means more than good. So above average, more than, an increase, right? Lexia is reading. So more than average reading, it usually happens really early for children who are identified as hyperlexic. It literally is the ability to read as early as two years old, and sometimes earlier in this case, based on the question, it was earlier, and there's no formal instruction involved. For some reason, these little sugars 
are able to learn how to decode sounds. And for the sake of my sanity, there's a lot more to the definition, but I'm going to leave the definition at that because let me tell y'all, amongst the researchers, OMG, the only thing that they agree about at this point is that hyperlexia is the ability to read early, as early as two or older. And I'm going to spell out why. Here's why. School of thought one. Yes, I'm taking you to school. Hyperlexia is directly related to autism spectrum disorder or language deficits, right? So that means that hyperlexia is this one thing to where sugar can read early, but there are also characteristics and traits that fall in alignment with autism spectrum disorder, or there's some language deficits there. And language deficits literally means they're not meeting milestones. I've talked about autism in past episodes. I've talked about language milestones in past episodes. So for more information on that, I want you to go and check out those episodes if you need a refresher. School of thought two, hyperlexia is directly related to being gifted, a savant learner, right? And that's like the Einsteins of the world. And that kind of even gets tricky there because, you know, Einstein didn't talk until he was four. Obviously, with children who have hyperlexia, they're talking because they're reciting what they've read, what they've decoded on paper, right? But there's also other traits that fall in alignment with giftedness. That's another like whole category of person, right? So this is why there's so many schools of thought. School of thought three. Hyperlexia is a diagnosis to where a sugar can have symptoms or characteristics that align with autism that at some point fade away. When they get older, they're no longer having those characteristics that align with autism. They fade away and they still have the traits that go along with hyperlexia. School of thought four. Sugar is just a precocious reader. They love reading. That's what they do. It's going to benefit them down the long haul. And let me tell you, based on these categories, I know by now, World Changer, you're like, thanks, but no thanks to this because now you've opened up a whole nother can of worms. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to open up cans of worms to get us thinking about what the heck does all this stuff mean and how do I take it and apply it to my life? So here's the deal. When we think about traditional language, right? From my standpoint, from speech and language standpoint, from anyone who studies language, this is the building blocks, right? Sugars learn sounds. When they are young, they're learning sounds. When they're in your belly, they are listening and hearing sounds. That doesn't mean that a sugar who's hyperlexic doesn't hear the sounds. Of course they hear the sounds. But when we're talking about the building blocks of language specifically, sugar is learning and hearing sounds. Then they relate those sounds to words. They put the stuff into context. Then they put those words into action. Then they start saying it in alignment with what they're doing, right? And so all of these things happen in alignment with traditional language. And then it becomes more complex because they add to the vocabulary and different kind of word and language forms come along and it just continues to build. It's like a puzzle. It's a stair step. One thing happens, the next thing happens, the next thing happens. Our little sugars who are hyperlexic, their language learning is completely different. It ain't the same. They rely on memory. That's why they're able to decode. 
they look at the text and there's something about that text or that letter or that number and they're able to associate and memorize what it is and put sound to it. Interesting, right? And so they skip all the babas and the mamas and they go straight for the gusto. They're cat, but they see it on paper or they see it in context or they see the stop sign or they see the license plate or they see whatever and they use their memory to learn language. There is no learning sounds. There is no learning sounds to putting sounds into words. There is no putting it into action. It's this abstract thing that they're able to decode. And they also use, and this is the real kicker, it's not just things that are in the environment like the license plate or the book. They're going to memorize phrases that they overhear from you. They're going to memorize sentences that they overhear from you. So you might even think like, hey, not only can they read, but their language is super advanced because they're reciting four to five word sentences. They can recite this book. Not only can they read it, but they can recite it without even seeing it because it's their memory. Conversations between you and your spouse. Either way, I say around like two, it's really time to clean up that language because they're really picking up stuff. But with these sugars, you really have to be careful because they are picking up on everything that you're saying and you'll understand more why later. They might pick up language from television and recite it over and over and over again. Same thing with movies. And they probably are going to want to watch it again, read it again. And it's usually in some cases, in some cases, and we have to be very clear that in some cases, it becomes almost a compulsive thing to where you're so tired of hearing that same information in that same movie and that same stuff over and over and over again. But that's how they're learning. They're using their memory. But here's what the real deal is. For you as the world changer, this can make having a conversation really difficult, not only for them, but also for you. Well, why? Because a conversation, and we expect conversation to really happen around 18 months, really at 24 months. We expect there to be some conversational exchanges. I talk, you listen. You listen, I talk. We go back and forth. We have these exchanges. And that's how conversation takes place, right? This doesn't require a book. It doesn't require a symbol. It doesn't require something tangible that they see. It requires relying on the words that you've built up and put into context. Now, remember, with our little sugars who are hyperlexic, they aren't learning through context. They're learning through memory based on what they saw in this moment. And so it's extremely concrete. And so it's hard for them to take that information and put it into practice. Social communication, very abstract, right? And so you need that comprehension to understand what the person is saying. Tune in, right? That's your conversational partner, usually you. And then they have to create a response around that, right? And the response might not be what they've memorized. And so it really, really, really becomes challenging for them because different sugars act out in different ways or perform in different ways. They'll either say what they know, answer out of term, or you might see them tantrum or ignore you, or there's all kinds of different ways that they may respond to you to kind of get out of that moment because they don't necessarily know what to say or how to say it. And so you really have to audit what trait identifies most with your sugar during this time. And I'm going to get into that more now. So you might be wanting to know, so if 
my sugar is hyperlexic. Do they have autism or are they gifted or are they both? Like, where do they fall in those four categories that you talked about? Well, I'm going to kind of help rule that in and rule that out for you. If nothing else, information to understand this is what comes along with it. So for sugars who have hyperlexia and autism, right, when they're, those two are correlated together, what you're going to see is stimulating and repetitive behavior. They're going to do the same thing over and over and over again. Everything as far as their thinking skills is going to be extremely concrete. It's going to be very literal. There's not going to be any kind of guesswork that goes on with that because they are relying on what this is, is what it is, right? So every time you see that stop sign, the stop sign means car stop, maybe not necessarily like stop, don't run in the street right? Different context because they're putting stuff into very concrete forms. And so you might hear things out of term because they don't necessarily know how to apply the word or the language across different settings. Whereas your learner who is a traditional language learner, they know how to take a word, understand the word and put it across multiple contexts. You might notice for the sugar who has hyperlexia and autism, that their development regresses between 18 to 24 months. Everything might look pretty normal, but around 18 to 24 months, you might see that they are not doing as much as they were doing or skills that they had already acquired. They're not doing them anymore. These sugars rely on routine. Routine to the point of where if you get out of routine, it's going to be an extremely uncomfortable situation, an extremely uncomfortable day for you and sugar. Difficulties with transitioning and change. This is getting from one thing to the next. Or if I expect there to be chicken nuggets and applesauce on my plate every day, why did you put macaroni and cheese and apples on my plate? So that change is hard. Getting from one thing to another Okay, it's time to put on your coat and go to school. Okay, it's time to sit down in school and do circle time. Now it's time to go outside. And those transitions take a lot of time. And there might even be some behavior that you don't want involved. There may be some sensitivities to taste, to touch, to smell, to sound. And these sensitivities take over their ability to interpret the world around them. It's sensory processing, difficulties weeding in what's appropriate and weeding out what's appropriate and what feels comfortable and uncomfortable to them. Reluctance to try new things, being exposed to new situations. You might try to take them to the annual Christmas light up celebration. And not only is the sound driving them nuts, but the lights are driving them nuts and all the new people are driving them nuts. And it's too much for them to the point of where you have to head home early. Or it might be getting on a ride. Anything that's exposing them to something new. It might be very familiar like day-to-day -day activities, trying out a new school, trying out a new toy, trying out anything that's outside of the norm. Getting resistance and reluctance to that is a characteristic or trait. Selective listening. You might be thinking, is my sugar deaf? Or thought at some point in time, is my sugar deaf? Do they really hear me? Do they really understand me? Are they understanding the things that I'm saying? And maybe not even understanding, can they hear me? Because they're not responding to their name. They're not responding to my name. They're not responding to this or that, or they're responding so inconsistently that I'm not sure they hear me or I have to yell it so many times 
and yell so many times just to get their attention to the point of where I'm so tired of trying to get their attention that I've started doing things myself for them. For the sugar that is hyperlexic, this is a telltale sign. The reading comprehension is going to be low. There's a direct correlation between studies that indicate that sugars who have hyperlexia and autism spectrum disorder are not necessarily comprehending what they're reading because, again, they're using their memory of this very concrete, abstract term. It is a word. It doesn't necessarily have significant meaning, but I know how to read it, but there's no meaning attached to it. So they may not understand what it is they're reading, and they might focus on only reciting that word over and over and over again. And they probably are even doing it with really complex language. And finally, they're often described as stubborn by parents. And the reason why they're described as stubborn is because they want things to go their way all the time. And it makes perfect sense because if you need routine and you have difficulties with change and transition and you have reluctance to try new things and new situations and you have a hard time understanding your conversational partner, you are definitely going to resist people around you trying to make you do things that you don't necessarily understand or want to do or understand why they're happening. And so we have to be extremely careful here because these sugars need our support so much so to help them get through the day. It's going to be our job to help them in the best way possible to provide understanding. Because the more they have understanding about what's going on, the more willing they're to accept what's going on and to be a little more flexible about the world around them. And so with hyperlexia and giftedness, it's different when you're looking at hyperlexia and giftedness, but not just hyperlexia and giftedness, but hyperlexia and maybe that child that is more of the precocious reader, right? These little sugars, they may be interested not just in the word, but the meaning of the word. They're going to be more willing to adapt to changes, new books, learning new words, new language, new situations. And their behavior, while it might appear self-centered, they're acting out. It's usually more so for attention, not because they're reluctant to have that social situation with you. And this is where it gets really, really tricky about saying, hey, this is autism or this is hyperlexia with giftedness or hyperlexia absent with autistic-like symptoms because that acting out can really be interpreted as tantrum-like behavior to where they're reluctant to do things on other people's terms. And so you have to really look with a fine-tooth comb. And you know what really makes this a lot of fun? Your sugar can have both. Both can happen. You can have hyperlexia, autism, and giftedness all at the same time. It is called gifted times two, gifted times three, neurodivergence. Whatever you like to coin it or call it, it can be a thing, right? And so you world changers out there who are like, well, when should I actually be concerned? Maybe my sugar shows some of these symptoms. Maybe my sugar doesn't show some of these symptoms. What does this all mean? Shouldn't we be celebrating in a corner that they can read? Well, yes, I want you to celebrate because it's a very exciting thing, but I want you to understand something very important about hyperlexia. When you think about reading in and of itself, it is a shared experience. Outside of when you're an adult and you're like cuddled up reading that novel, that's different. But at that very young age, we're using reading as a tool to relate to the world around us. And not only are we using it as a tool to relate to the world around us, we're using it as a tool 
to be with mom and dad, to really get in there with mom and dad and for mom and dad to have this shared fun experience with us to where we're learning new people, we're learning new words, we're exploring, we're imagining, and all of these things are taking place. And so I want you to be concerned if sugar does not allow you to share in the reading experience by creating discussion around the story. And what I mean by that is if sugar and you are reading the book and they're only allowing you to go the way that they want things to go or read the way that they want you to read or they're reading the way that they want to read without any kind of flexibility, I want you to be a bit concerned. I want you to start like putting on your mommy and daddy goggles. If there's difficulties pointing out connections between the text and the pictures. So what I mean by that is if you pay attention to most Little Sugar's books, they're cardboard, they vary in size, but they all have one thing in common. There's usually not a lot of words. There's just not a lot of words. And that's for a reason. The images on the page are what's really telling the story. And this is why I always say to you guys, it's okay to not read the words and focus on the image and not necessarily focus on the image of identifying just things there. There's room for that too. But for these sugars, you really have to help them make the connection between those words and those pictures. Like, what does this all mean? Yes, we read the words, but let's look at this picture and concentrate on that and not ask a bunch of what questions, but really bring to life what's taking place. If there's difficulties connecting the story to the child's experiences, if they are unable to relate to that, let's say that it's a story about little Sally and little Sally had a bad day and Sally was crying and you say, oh my gosh, remember the day you were crying? And Sugar may just respond, crying, crying. And you say, but remember the day you were crying, crying, crying. And you're not necessarily getting that response back from them or that feedback. You're looking for something more so like, yeah, I was sad. I was crying. I was sad like Katie. I was sad like Tommy. I was sad like whomever. Because if they're able to connect to that, then they're able to have an experience outside of their own. And that's theory of mine and relating that stuff. If your sugar only wants to lead by asking the adult questions about the same information, and I kind of alluded to that earlier to where it's really repetitive and it's self-directed. Maybe they're like, what's that? What's that? And they want you to answer that. Or they say, son, 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 son. And you're like, yeah, baby, it's the son, 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 son. Yes, baby, I acknowledge that. Son, 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 son. That's another kind of telltale sign that something else may be going on there and you really want to start paying attention. If your sugar rejects your language model during the story. So let's go back to son. Sugar keeps saying son, 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 right? And while they're saying son, you're trying to say, yeah, the sun is out. Sun is bright, bright sun. And you're trying to get them to pick up a new word. Oh, look at the tree. Oh, that's a pretty tree. Oh man, I saw the sun, but let's look at that tree. And there's sun, 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 sun. That's another sign that they're not only rejecting your language model, but they're not even picking up and they're insisting on directing the way that things go. And you might even see them during this time flipping those pages like crazy because they're just going through the book and just saying the same things over and over and over again and not necessarily tuning in. And finally, if your sugar wants to read alone most of the time, unless they're directing the story. And that alludes to what I was just mentioning earlier, like if they are 
the one who's taking the lead and they're reluctant to allow you to get in there, then that is a sign that something else may be going on. So you're like, well, does this mean should we seek therapy? What should we do? And I think that that is a great question because if your sugar is demonstrating any of those behaviors that I mentioned associated with autism and difficulties socializing, you probably should think about some therapy there, some speech therapy. If your sugar has difficulties understanding and following through with your directions, you should be thinking about speech therapy. And at the very least, at the very least, you should at home start picking up ways to ask them to follow through with your directions. And the way that you do that is by asking them to do something. And if they don't follow through, don't yell, don't get explosive. Help them by taking them to where you want them to go and have them follow through with what you've asked them to do and keep reinforcing that every single time. And if it's sensory needs that's impacting sugar's ability to develop and thrive, then I want you then to go seek out an occupational therapist who can really help create strategies around sensory processing because that's their lane. These are the things that I want you to avoid. And not just you, this also applies not to just my sugars with the twos and the three-year-olds who are reading up a storm, but also for my older sugars. Because what happens in what I've understood about this is that our sugars enter into school and they end up being these reading stars, but they often get overlooked. And it's not until around fourth grade to where they're, the teachers are all scratching their head because there's this big old gap in development that has not taken place. And so we have to be extremely careful about having a sugar with hyperlexia and feeling like, oh, they've mastered this thing. I don't need to do nothing. That ain't true. That ain't right. So here's what I want you to avoid. Assume that because they excel in this one area that all other areas will be exceptional. Hyperlexia is the exception. It's not the rule, right? It's a beautiful thing to have, but it doesn't mean that they're gonna be a math prodigy. They might though. Or science prodigy, or they might, you know, they might be gifted savant. They might be great at a lot of things. But this is what I've learned over the years, not just through research, but through experience. Everyone has strengths and everyone has areas that need support. And so sometimes those strengths can help our areas that need support. But in some cases, they're completely unrelated and they need help too. And so we can't assume that everything is just going to be off the charts with them, right? Avoid treating them like hyperlexia is a disorder. Hyperlexia is not a disorder in and of itself. It's the characteristics that come along with it that we are concerned with, right? If they are memorizing text, beautiful, that's a great thing, but do they understand it? Are there other behaviors that are not necessarily appropriate developmentally that are getting in the way of things? And so we really want to make sure that we're strengthening the areas that need support, but we're not treating hyperlexia as a disorder in and of itself. Because remember, these are just children who have the ability to read early that may or may not have accompanying diagnosis that come along with that. So be very careful with that language. Don't focus on simply advanced decoding abilities. Do not just give them and throw at them all of this complex reading, especially if they don't understand the simple, basic cardboard books. So if you're asking at the end, you read a story, maybe the very hungry caterpillar, right? And the very hungry caterpillar is a very 
cool story because it's about the metamorphosis of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. But if sugar is only labeling the foods and not necessarily paying attention to the life cycle or what happens next, what do you think is going to happen next to Mr. Caterpillar? Oh, look, Mr. Caterpillar is sleeping. If we're not really honing in on what's happening and what do they understand about that and we're throwing all this complex text, again, it's going to catch up with us later down the line. And so that leads me to the next thing. Even if sugar is hyperlexic, do not avoid preliteracy skills because they're going to need these skills for later, harder work. As text becomes more complex, as sound systems become more complex, as prefixes and suffixes get added onto words, as other languages have influence on the English language and the way that we read it, is not necessarily in alignment with the traditional rules of the English language. They have to be able to understand that. And if we're just allowing them to focus on the concrete, when I see this word, then it is this, then we are going to put them at risk of not being able or having a harder time mastering that more advanced stuff because they are going to need it at some point. Do not avoid text comprehension. This is, I've been saying it, but I have to say it concretely. Like I can't, it would, it would be a disservice to you if I would tell you that it's okay to keep reading without really focusing on, do they understand this stuff? And do they understand this stuff is not the same as saying, what is this? What is that? What is this? What is that? That's not synonymous. It's not the same. Matter of fact, stay away from that as much as possible for these learners, because you and I both know at this point that concrete stuff, you give them an image, you give them a word, they're going to be able to identify it. But what does it mean at the end of the day? They're going to need that. If you make that step and you decide, hey, I want to get my sugar tested. I want to see what's going on here. I want to see if there's another diagnosis. Do not rely alone on standardized testing. Standardized testing, it really does rely on rote memory. Are you scratching your head now? Like, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. It relies on rote memory and wrote information. And guess what? Our sugars with hyperlexia are masters at that. So of course they're going to perform great on standardized tests. And so the tests that they get really need to rely on comprehension. It has to rely on comprehension because if it doesn't rely on comprehension, then they are going to slip through the cracks and everybody's going to walk away super happy. But at the same time, it's going to be a setup for failure later. So we don't want to do that. And finally, we want to attend to how sugar is reading the text. So if it is super monotone and there is not much inflection or much stress or emphasis on any of the words, we do not want to. We don't want that. That's not good. Because then they're just decoding. (laughs) They're simply decoding. There's no connection there. And so we got to be extremely careful with that as well. And so it's not enough to just know what to look out for. We got to have some hands-on tools, y'all. We got to have some stuff, some ammo, some ga-gung-ga-gung to get us going before we go into testing, before we start doing all of this extra stuff. We got to know what to do at home to start supporting sugar. So for little sugar, I got some stuff for y'all. First things first, get a library card. I love the library. Don't get me started. One day I'm going to do an episode on how much Sharina loves the library. No, I'm not. But, <laughs> but I do love the library. 
And the reason why I love the library is because it gives Sugar a lot of exposure to a bunch of books and a bunch of texts. Now, I do understand that we're in the midst of a pandemic and some of you world changers might be like, no, I'm not letting my child touch used books. Spray it with some Lysol. Just just spray it. You could take it with you, have your little travel little thing and just spray it real quick and, and let that rest on there. You'll be fine. It'll be okay. Be safe. Wash your hands. All right. Read out loud without showing the text. Now, this is a tricky one. And I talk about this in Watch Me Connecting to Your Child Through Play to where you can hold the book and you can read the words in the book and then show the picture after the fact. So they're not just relying on looking at those words through memory. Because remember, they're visually learning this stuff and then they're they're spitting it out because they're relying on that memory. But if you're just reading to them and giving them that auditory feedback, then guess what? They don't have that word there. They don't have that symbol there to identify it. And they really have to build up those listening skills, which helps with comprehension. So it's a win-win. When asking questions, avoid asking only concrete information. And I mentioned that earlier. Please stay away from what is this? And what is that? And what is this? And what is that? And what does the choo-choo train say? Like, don't just rely on that because there's not a lot of learning that's coming out of that after they've already mastered that word, like there's, you, you've hit the road. Like it's, it's a big old wall in front of you. There's nothing new coming out of that. Like the cat's never going to say anything else outside of meow and, and purr, purr, purr. Like think about it like that. The dog's always going to say wolf, wolf, wolf. So once they know that it's time to move on into other learning, try asking open-ended questions. Like the boy is running. Where do you think he's going? Or you could just say, where do you think he's going? Or the caterpillar ate all that food. How big do you think his belly is? And like, show your belly, make that stuff come to life. So you can even tell stories in that way without the books being present, not just reciting the story. Oh my gosh, what happened to little boy when he went up the stairs? Oh my goodness, the little girl went in the house. She went in the house and the three bears were gone. What did, oh my goodness, what happened next? Mr. Wolf, Mr. Wolf, he huffed and he puffed. And oh, what happened to poor house? What happened to the house? It came down. So that way we bring things to life in a much different way. And they have to rely on that memory and put it into practice. And you can even expand on that. Like the house came down and look, the rain is coming down. Look, it's coming down, down, down. So now they're putting that word into different contexts across different settings that down doesn't just mean the wolf blew the house down, but the rain comes down out of the sky. And I'm looking at this thing happen. So now it becomes real to me. And you could also, again, do that by switching it up and singing nursery rhymes. You can do all kinds of things. Um, what did the little pig do when he went? What did he do? He went wee, wee, wee all the way home, right? And so we're not just reciting it, we're bringing it to life. You can also um, create like little, little nursery rhyme cards to where you guys, instead of looking at the words on paper, you have the actual story in images and then you talk it through and you play it through in different ways to kind of switch it up. Playing fun word games to increase meaning. I've kind of alluded to that already on how you can play around with that with my little impersonations, but also one of my favorite things are auditory activities. And that's anything that'll promote following directions. Simon says, put your hands on your belly. Simon says, put your hands on your head. Put your hands on your hips. Ah, Simon didn't say, right? So, so you're getting them to follow directions. You're getting them to tune in and you're getting them to like do stuff that you asked them to do. 
and follow through with it in a fun, exciting way. And there's even books on that that I can link you guys up with that helps with following directions. And this also comes with playing word games, putting them in context. Is the marshmallow scratchy or squishy? Right. So if you're touching a marshmallow and you have it in front of you, is it scratchy or squishy? And you're kind of like squeezing it around and looking at it. Right. Then they're going to be like, maybe they say scratchy and you're like, "Mm, no, squishy. It's squishy. And you're showing them what squishy is while like pressing it up and down and not scratchy. And maybe you have something scratchy around sandpaper scratchy or the sponge in the kitchen is scratchy or daddy's mustache is scratchy. That's scratchy. And you're putting that into real life context to where they're making these connections between the world and these words. And that brings stuff to life. And I want you to be okay that sugar may initially resist or avoid, but I want you to keep trying because you think about the muscles, right? Any muscle that we want to strengthen, we keep working on it and over time it'll pay off. And I got strategies for older sugar too. Keep playing word games with them. Keep putting things in the context for them. Describe things for them. Have them describe things to you and expand their descriptors into synonyms and antonyms. What's the same as cold? What's what's different than cold? And work with them in that way because they will work with you and you can do that verbally without having any kind of book or paper around. You can have them retell a story, any kind of story that makes sense. What was your favorite part about the ski trip last year? What was your favorite part about school today? Very specific, concrete information to where they're not on the hook for all of this information, but very short information or just have them talk about something that's familiar with them. What was the process of building that Lego tower? What was the process of doing this? What was that? How did you do this? And just have them talk it through because the more they're able to talk things through, the more you're able to then fill in the gaps when they're having difficulties getting that stuff out. Also, working on auditory comprehension activities, that should never stop. Like even as an adult, you should continue to work on like comprehension activities just for your brain to keep away from Alzheimer's and dementias and other kind of memory things that creep up on us when we get older. So you should always work on anything that trains your brain. Comparing and contrasting. What's the difference between this and that? Reporting and informing. That is really fun. This is where the fun stuff comes in because you can have them read Newspaper, Time for Kids is a really good one. We read it all the time. National Geographic for Kids, something that piques their interest, some kind of special event to where you have them not talk about it from their perspective, but the author's perspective. What do you think the author was trying to say in this story? Why do you think they tried to say it? What do you think they wanted us to know as the reader? This gives them perspective from another person's perspective and you can even compare and contrast that and be like, well, do you agree with their perspective? Why Why do you think that? Why do they think that? And the more that you're able to build on that, it really does help their critical thinking skills and their problem solving and their reasoning. And again, seeing the world from a different standpoint, sharing experiences together, reading for information, not for definition, so much so we get so much reading now. And, and I even as a homeschooler have to be careful about the text that I put in front of my sugars and what I'm asking from them, I stay away from asking them about definitions, except for the definitions that I want them to know, the new vocabulary that I want them to know, because we rely too much on learning this information to spit it out and then never use it again. And that's not how real learning works. Like real learning means there's some analyzing and some thinking and some reasoning and some 
problem solving and you're really critically thinking through that and what it means. And if you are exposing them to new vocabulary, then you're having them put it into context. So we're not going to just learn this definition, but let's write about it. So I want you to use five of these new words that you just learned. And I want you to write about how it applies to this. And that's a way that you're bringing that stuff to life. So it's stuff that you can do easily throughout the day and incorporate that throughout your day to build up on those skills while you're either a kind of trying to figure out what's really going on and where your sugar falls, whether which category it falls in. Are they the savant learner? Are they just a precocious reader? Do they have autistic like symptoms that'll one day kind of fade away? Or do they have autism and they need that extra support? But all of these things can apply to them just based on where they are. And that's where your work comes in. Like you really have to learn your learner. World changers, hyperlexia is so complex. And I'm telling you, this episode is only the beginning to enhance your understanding. And even mine, in some cases, like I really had to dig deep and do some research to not just understand what the meaning of hyperlexia was, but also characteristics that come along with that and what the implications of that means for the long haul. Because the reality is, if our sugar is hyperlexic and they're reading all this complex stuff, but they're not comprehending what's going on, then later down the line, something's going to give. There's going to be a price to pay for that. And so we really want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to support them, to support ourselves and to help them through this process. We're staying tooled up, y'all. And so with all of this knowledge, we have to get really strategic about what we're doing every single day because it makes it a little bit easier and gives us a little bit more knowledge every single time we approach our sugar. And to me, the best way to do this, it comes through play. It comes through interaction. It comes through uninterrupted time to build on their skills and also your relationships so they'll feel comfortable enough to open up to you where they are and you're comfortable enough to really help them through that. So keep staying intentional, keep connecting, keep growing, keep learning about your sugar because what we plant today is going to have a significant impact on our sugar tomorrow. If you have any questions about this episode or any past episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to me by email at questions that I've got this kid.com, or you can find me on my socials, which are in the links below. Also, if you have not purchased a copy of Watch Me, Connecting to Your Child Through Play, there is time, there's still time to gift yourself and some well-deserving folks before Christmas. And if you already got your copy, give some well-deserving folks or send the link, share on the page. If you've been following me on social media, then you'll see that I've been posting where the book is available and I'm ready for you guys to go ahead and start tagging me and all of that other stuff that comes along with that because I wanna hear from you. So please make sure to post a picture of yourself and tag me, tell a friend, and then write the book from the vendor that you purchased it from. Tell the people how you liked it, what you enjoyed, what you wanted to know, what you wanted to know more of. I know it's a quick read and I did that on purpose because I'm not trying to keep you confined in a book I want you to be with your sugar doing what I believe is best for them and for your relationship with them. And that's play and interaction. So get in there, get on that, y'all. And also join me next week. It'll be my final episode until, well, technically it'll be the new year, but it's gonna be my final episode. And then I'm gonna take a break and then I'm gonna come back and hang out with y'all some more, but I am gonna take a break. And so we're going to finalize 
this season with debunking mix tell me the truth about hyperlexia because there's some facts and some myths that i didn't want to put in this show or else this show would have been two hours long and i ain't going there with y'all so i am excited about that i'm excited about the christmas season i hope and pray that you have a very merry christmas remember the best gift that you can give your sugar is you what comes under the tree that's just something that enhanced the time with you but you are the best gift that you can give them so world changers have a very merry christmas until the next time y'all take care <laughs> <laughs>